Uh, we turn our attention now to uh, one of the, the hottest topics on the political landscape today, and that is the issue of health care. Uh, Californians are in dire need of health care, as, uh, as is the rest of the country. Uh, why don't we have health care? What, uh, what are the impediments to single-payer health care for all? And what is this mindset that uh, suggests that uh, health care is a privilege and not a right? Uh, on January 16th, or was the 24th, I believe, we had uh, several students from UCI's medical school here to talk about a trip they were taking to uh, Sacramento to engage in lobbying for uh, the Senate Bill 840, which, uh, which was Sheila Kuehl's uh, bill for single-payer health care in California. And the three students, it, it seems strange talking referring to you all as students, but uh, as we're a room of adults here, but uh, the students have returned and uh, they're going to tell us about uh, the status of their lobbying efforts and Senate Bill 840. We've got Farah, uh, Farah, I should say, Karapineni, oh, wow, uh, Parker, Duncan, and Jennifer Alu, and uh, they join us here this morning. So good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, okay, we're a little rusty. I'm a little rusty this morning because it's been a late night, but uh, let us begin by um, tell our listeners, uh, a, again, a bit about the Senate Bill 840 and about the trip you took to Sacramento, and then, of course, what happened. <laughs> well, Senate Bill 840 is a Senate bill authored by Sheila Kuehl, Democrat uh, in Sacramento, representing Santa Monica area. She wrote this Senate bill um, to revolutionize healthcare basically making a fully inclusive healthcare program for all California residents to receive um, comprehensive healthcare for all medical necessary needs so that is the movement we went up to Sacramento on January 28th to support there were about 400 of us um, rallying on the Capitol steps attending a training to get uh, educated on the issue so then we could go to our assembly people and senators to then talk to them about lobbying for the bill, supporting the bill, um, and it was very successful. We have uh, four new co-authors after this visit, two, two new yes votes, and tons of support, so it was very successful. Okay, we're deciding who's <laughs> going to speak next. <laughs> you got to love community radio. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and a couple of points to, to add on to that. It was absolutely a fabulous event. One of the, the key things we found, and this is our third year we've, we've done this, Jared, one of the, the key benefits that's come out of this is a catalyzing of political activism, essentially. People come there, most of them coming because they understand this bill, they believe in it inherently. We're all healthcare professionals, not just medical students, but a broad-based coalition of medical uh, health student professionals. We understand this issue, and this is what we want. But more than that, this day catalyzes this great interest and belief in the in our power and the ability to, to make systemic change. Um, and we now have 350 new people who are dedicated and understand and know that they can be part of the political process of change. And that was an extremely powerful uh, moment and feeling to capture up there in Sacramento. Yeah, just to add to that, I think that, um, that like when people were asking about whether... Um, 
whether what we did was had an effect or not. Yes, we had new co-authors and new yes votes, but we also had um, new students who who were convinced by their visit that SB 840 is the only answer. And I thought that was really important from pers- on a personal level. That was despite being pretty involved prior to my visit. Um, I that was what convinced me that SB 840 was the only answer. And um, I think we just need to keep keep the movement going so that the people who were introduced to lobbying um, and to this whole um, political involvement keep that energy going. Now, the bill did not pass. Is that correct? Mm, no, no, not exactly. Not <laughs> okay. <laughs> the bill, and thank you for allowing us to clarify this, the bill is alive and well. And it is the only health care reform bill that is alive and well. Um, so there was a Governor Nunez big deal, uh, kind of backroom deal uh, issue that also died, and coincidentally on that day, or not also, it died on that day. Uh, SB 840 passed the Senate last year. It's racing through the Assembly. It was going so quickly that the Senator held it up, and it will be reintroduced in the Assembly, uh, or not technically reintroduced. It will be allowed to continue through the Assembly. And the word we hear from Senator Kuehl is she has every intention of placing it on the governor's desk uh, before the end of this legislative session. So it is the bill that still exists in Sacramento, won't go away, is alive, and will pass. And, and I ask that for a reason, because one of the, the things that, that I, I f- found interesting about all of your responses is that uh, your measure of uh, grassroots success is not... Uh, th- th- always the end result. It's, have you brought new people into a movement? Have you raised awareness? Have you received some more new votes? I mean, we just uh, listened to a clip from the Vandenberg Air Force Base protest, and uh, there were 150 people there, which in a state with, what, 32 million people or so forth, it might not seem like a lot, but uh, the previous years I've been there, the numbers have been 25, 50, and 75. So as far as I'm concerned, it was a success, not because we stopped nuclear testing in California, but because the the movement has momentum, we're raising awareness, I was able to bring students into the mix, uh, and so forth. So it's, it's great for a, a, a radio program that's dedicated to activism to uh, focus on both you know short-term goals uh intermediate goals and then long-term goals so uh, i'm glad to hear that there's uh, an emphasis on that yeah i think that's a great point i just like to say that you know before parker and renu started this movement there was like no support from students i was just talking to faculty last week and they were like if you were to bring up health care reform to students to go lobby none of them would have done it they wouldn't have supported it it wasn't on the table and since you know 2006 when this started we had 100 now 200 now almost 400 and such a great enthusiasm and movement to grow it even bigger to start you know local chapters to expand the grassroots movement to include all medical students and physicians in the area so I think that's an excellent point and that's a main goal of what we're doing now. Tell us uh, again how the three of you got involved in this movement because it's just to me it's so inspiring that you've got uh med students who should be, uh, you know, you certainly, uh, one would think would have so many other priorities other than activism. So uh, remind our listeners what motivated the three of you to get involved. And uh, you actually, you know, were, were able to get professors to allow you to, to make up a lab. I hope you all did make up that lab. <laughs> so how did you, <laughs> how did you uh, all get involved in this? Well, I'll start out on this one because although I don't look it, I've been the one that's been involved here the longest. Um, 
This started three years ago when I was a first-year medical student. I went to a, a, a conference, a national conference of medical students called the American Medical Student Association, and it's the group of students who generally are concerned and interested in the social aspects and social issues, social justice issues of medicine. I met a small group there from UCSF, and they had just learned about this bill that had just been introduced. We started talking about it, got very excited, and essentially through that next year, hatched this idea was born amongst a, a group of what we called AMSA leaders to start this. And we had our first lobby day in 2006, had no idea if anyone would even show up, if it would just be the group of six of us leaders standing there on, on the steps of the Capitol. And like Jen mentioned, there were 100 people. And from then it's just grown. And uh, both Jen and Farah have been these incredible leaders on this campus. And, and in a way, Jarrett, that's the way that this movement has grown, that there have been these key people that just pick it up. One person amongst a, a sea is, is kind of the one or two people, and they, they pick it up, and they kind of direct and educate and lead, and then many others f follow along with that. Yeah, um, well, just to, to go with that, Jen was the one who actually catalyzed it in our class, and she basically... Um, organized all these lectures for us to go to to learn more about health policy. And there was an interest, and basically she organized it, and um, and that got a lot of people excited about Lobby Day. And um, that's how I got into it was because there was there was a venue now this year for us to, to go and talk about issues that we were interested in. And for me, single-payer was an interest, and in knowing that the healthcare system was, um, was a, a major social issue, um, drew me to it so yeah so I got involved um I got involved with it I have a you know long interest of being interested in um social justice um before college I went and kind of traveled the world to look at people starving and you know these movements that just lifted themselves up and I've always been very inspired by that and now that I've intentionally decided to become a doctor and having an experience in the insurance industry and seeing how complicated and just insanely um crazy it is where the patient is the major loser and also I think more and more the doctors since they have to go through so many review committees and permissions basically to practice the kind of medicine that they were taught in medical school that I couldn't accept that so coming here um, we went to a rally in Los Angeles the first weekend of medical school and ju that just kind of you know sparked um, we got 30 people to go on to that, and I just realized, wow, people are really interested in this, so let's take that energy and build something. And Lobby Day was a great little funnel for that, and we'll continue to build it up. And, and kind of a final plug for Jennifer here. Uh, in addition to her, 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 her innate brilliance, um, the way that she conducted education on this campus was uh, in such an open atmosphere. Uh, she probably never said, you must think about SB 40, you must do Lobby Day. She brought in conservative speakers. She, she, they discussed the whole gamut of issues, and it was never about everybody's got to think about this SB 840. It was let's look at this issue, and na then this process naturally happens that most of us have, have come to where you realize the SB 840 represents the type of design of a system that is the only option that we uh, can have in this country. I want to remind listeners to tune to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, uh, KUCI.org on the internet. And uh, we're speaking with uh, Farah, Parker, and Jennifer, three UCI med students 
who are lobbying for uh, Senate Bill 840, that is the single-payer health care bill for Californians. Uh, as you're all talking, I'm looking for the actual numbers online, but uh, United States typically ranks last among other industrialized nations with regard to preventable deaths. And uh, I know that there was just recently a, uh, a study uh, that showed that, indeed, uh, if the U.S. had performed as well as the top three countries out of the 19 industrialized countries in the study, uh, there would be over 100,000 fewer deaths in the United States per year. Uh, the top performers were France, Japan, and Australia. Uh, that's got to be staggering for uh students who take an oath to do no harm and take an oath uh, and, and dedicate their lives to uh, trying to, uh, to help people. So what is the difference between the United States and these other countries? Is it universal health care? Is that the, the difference? Um, that's, a, that's a huge question. Uh, but universal health care is a major component in that uh, – there's McDonald's in France, and there's all kinds of, you know, people use drugs and people have bad behaviors all over the world. But one of the, the unique difference between the United States and, and any of the other countries to whom we're compared is that they implicitly know as a value that they need to provide health care for all their people. And that, in essence, is what SB 840 says for California and what our belief as healthcare professionals is about, that simply it is time that we redefine our value system and say, absolutely, no matter what, this has to be the preeminent value. We provide healthcare system for everyone. And then you can talk about the way you want to do that. And we happen to believe that the only way you can do that in the way that is in line with something called the Institute of Medicine Guiding Principles is this SB 840 in California, or there's also a national model. Uh, but to answer the full question, you can get lost in a quagmire of details all the time about, well, France does this and Britain does this. But a key one is health care. Yeah, not only that they cover all their people, but they cover all their people with quality health care. I think looking at the, the candidates now and what they're proposing in terms of universal health care, the focus for some is to cover everybody. But that would, in this system, be at the expense of good health care. That would include a minimal plan for people, and yes, everyone would be covered, but they wouldn't be covered to the extent of, you know, getting the preventive care, getting the things they need, going to the hospital when they need it, you know, getting people out of the ER for their primary care. So I think that's a very important point. You know, I mean, right now you can look at cover everyone at the expense of the quality of the plan or, you know, raise the quality of the plan at the expense of losing people out of coverage. So... And I think what it comes down to is a lack of political will. In other countries, they've accepted in um, in the public sector that healthcare is something that the the public sector should be providing for um, the people. And I don't think that we have made that decision. I want to read a a news headline from February eighteenth and. Uh use that as a launching pad uh, perhaps to make a distinction just uh, or a clarification for the listeners between universal and single payer and I know that that was a big topic for for last time and then we'll take a break and maybe uh, look specifically at some of the lobbying efforts and the different 
plans. But uh, this is from February 18th, and it talks about in uh, in California, which is where we are, the health insurance giant Blue Cross was coming under criticism for trying to enlist physicians in denying patients medical care. The Los Angeles Times reported that Blue Cross sent doctors copies of health insurance applications filled out by new patients. The doctors uh, were then asked to immediately notify Blue Cross if the applications omitted any pre-existing conditions that could be used to deny the patient's coverage. Uh, Of course, Blue Cross is California's largest for-profit health insurer. Observers said the letters could provide conflicts for doctors who rely on uh, Blue Cross for most of their income. Uh, The article quotes uh, Anthony Wright of Health Access California, who said, quote, they are playing a game of gotcha, where they're trying to use their doctors against their patients' health interests. That's about as ugly as it gets. And uh, that from the Los Angeles Times posted on democracynow.org. Your responses. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's to be unexpected. I mean, when this system was put in place after Nixon, it's about money. It's not about patients. And their main interest is in getting as much money for their shareholders as they can. If this means going to the doctors and asking them for information so they can rescind their plans so that they can put more money into their system, they'll do it. This is not a plan about, you know, patients' rights and patients' care and doctors treating their patients. It's completely the opposite. So it's disgusting, yes, but in their rules of the game, it's completely expected. And the simple way we sum that up is say that when you have profit as as a motive, you can't ever expect to have health as an outcome. Or in other words, in this case, they are inversely related. So the more the more profit you want, the less care you, you can possibly provide. And that is the fundamental flaw of private health insurance and the system that we have in this country right now. So then what is the difference, uh, before we go to a break, what is the difference uh, for listeners between single payer, which is what the three of you are advocating, uh, and simply universal. Because when one hears single payer and universal, uh, from a, a political framing perspective, the word payer is, is a little freakish, and it's, it could be off-putting, whereas universal, it's, you know, oh, we're all one big happy family and singing Kumbaya, and we're being taken <laughs> care of. So uh, let's be sure that listeners understand the key distinction. Yes, the users right now of the term universal coverage are sing kubaya but take, taking you for a ride um, but to focus on SB 840 I'm going to apparently uh, make this even more complicated SB 840 is way more than just single payer SB 840 in fact finally designs a healthcare system for the state of California we do not have a healthcare system in the state of California we have this massive hodgepodge of just a mess and the mechanism of financing that is something called single payer um, that's essentially putting all the money that we collect into one checking account, and then that checking account pays all the bills. Versus uh, the term now for universal coverage is one that really refers to, let's give everybody a plastic card, something to carry in their wallet, because we're going to require it, and we might even threaten to to penalize them with money or maybe even jail time, uh, a la Massachusetts. And but that card doesn't guarantee you any kind of care. So that's a, a key distinction. SB 840 designs a health care system. And the other talk now about universal coverage is really what I call a shell or just a paper game to make politicians look good that we've gotten everybody a piece of paper, but it's about cover your something else and not about health care. Well, we will... Did you want to add to... 
Um, oh, well, I mean, just to say that, um, that the fact that there's a single pair does not necessarily mean also that, um, that choice is, that we don't have choice anymore. So there's a single pair that is ensuring quality care for everyone because of the fact that there's one pair. But um, the providers that you're able to choose are still in place. So when people say universal coverage, they start to think that they'll be mandated to a certain doctor. But, um, but that's not the case. It's just that there will be one pair. You know, when when I decided that I didn't want to go into business or uh, have a cubicle job and so forth, and I wanted to go into academia, I thought that I would be avoiding the labyrinth of bureaucracy and paperwork and uh, forms to fill out and so forth, and that I could just really devote myself to uh, philosophy and the life of the mind and so forth. And then, of course, you get to a university and you realize that the university is the belly of the beast when it comes to uh, forms and, and bureaucracy and, and so forth. Uh, it, it would seem that for people who want to go into medicine because they want to they help, and uh, the three of you certainly strike me as uh, incredibly altruistic and, and genuine in your concern, and then I don't know if you've got peers who who talk about this, or but it would seem that the further along in med school you get, the more you realize that you're you're really going to be spending just as much time filling out forms and and dealing with you know insurance and deductibles and and so forth. Uh, that's got to be pretty uh, pretty daunting for for people who really are are concerned about helping. It's extremely daunting. <laughs> I think. Okay, you know, I, I was you, being subtle here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whenever I go, and I think Parker will be able to speak to this as well, since he's a little farther along and has been in the clinics more. But every time I go to the medical center, the people I work with have these huge piles of forms that they have to fill out for each patient, and nothing can be done before the form is filled out that the assistant then uses to. A request the procedure or the service through the insurance companies and I think you know just this like crazy all these road bumps and blocks and you know um, things that you have to navigate through just for one person to get a CT or a consult or whatever it is I mean it's just like how am I going to be able to practice efficient great medicine to help my patients especially frustrating for us who as you say you know came into this not wanting to do paper pushing but you know, wanting to actually act and get our hands in there and make a difference in people's lives. It's extremely daunting. Right there. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> getting some sound we got, we got so much, so much passion in this, in this room that we're, we're all too close to the microphone, but uh, we're one big happy family. Uh, one of the cruel ironies, what you've touched on is essentially a, a bit of our, our self-interest. We all have a self-interest in that. And that, one of that, directly for me is I want a simpler life and SB 840 designs a healthcare system where we can actually do our jobs. Right now many primary care providers, many the health system overall spends at least 20 up to 30 percent of itself uh, just on paperwork and hassle. Um, that'll be cut by law down to 5 to 10 percent with SB 840. Massive simplification. For me that means I can see patients the way I want, I can see all the patients I want and that is that speaks directly to to why we came in, into into medical school. What happens in medical school, or what doesn't happen, is no one's telling you about that from the day you walk in. That says, you know, twenty five percent of your time is going to be be spent filling out paperwork. And it's only as you get into the system and spend your time in clinical rotations and see this massive chaos happening out there. The net result is 
most people not getting the care they need, uh, that you start to infer, boy, this is a mess and something's going on. Yeah, and just like the fragmentedness, sorry, just quickly, um, you know, people who move and don't bring their medical records and show up at your door with some tumor or something and having to start all over again with all the paperwork, just the tremendous time loss is just on a human rights level, it's just not right. Yeah. And um, in terms of like us as med students, I think there are a lot of people who come in with these altruistic goals. I mean, they, they you come in wanting to help people. That's why you go into medicine. But I think um, it's really interesting to see how med students change as we go through med school and see that we're not going to be reimbursed or, or there are going to be financial issues for us as a result of this or, or there's so much paperwork that it's not as rewarding as we thought it would be. And people do change, I think, um, and it really sucks because you come in with these goals and then you start having these private interests because it's just not as rewarding as you thought it would be. And I think it loses a lot of people along the way. And, um, and that's where you get doctors with interests that have nothing to do with their patients. Mm-hmm. Let us take a quick musical break. We'll come back and look at, uh, we'll get maybe a primer on uh, Lobbying 101 and uh, kind of take a look at how uh, the issue of healthcare is, is being framed in the the, uh, the ongoing debates, if we could call it that. So this is KCI's Justice or Just Us. We're taking a look at uh, single-payer health care for all here in California, and we'll be back after this musical break. Stick around. And we're back. Some Barrington Levy here on uh, Justice or Just Us. We should just leave the microphones on during the songs because I think some of our conversations <laughs> off air are just as fun as on air. But uh, we were talking a bit about um, uh, the presidential debates or just the the whole uh, primary season. And uh, NAFTA seems to have become a central issue. Uh, you've got... Uh, uh, McCain uh, criticizing Obama and Clinton for, uh, you know, wanting to renegotiate uh, conditions of NAFTA. Whether we could take them seriously about that or not has also been called into question. But uh, y- you have McCain suggesting that uh, we can't bow out of an agreement we made with Canada or Mexico. And uh, you've got Hillary and Barack talking about uh, the loss of manufacturing jobs and then they separately talk about health care. And yet one of the things that I find so interesting is that shouldn't the discussion of NAFTA and globalization uh, be one and the same with the discussion of health care? Because when jobs move overseas, uh, the loss of manufacturing jobs also means the loss of health care and the loss of that, uh, that safety net. So uh, maybe you could we could talk about that a bit and put NAFTA in the context of healthcare and put healthcare in the context of NAFTA. Um, excellent. That's an excellent question, Jared. You've hit on essentially one of the two fundamental flaws that we talk about in our current system. The first one is what we talked about kind of before the break having to do with that the motive of our financing of healthcare is profit-based. And that's when you want to make a profit, you're not going to have health. But the second one you've touched on is, again, unique in our country. We're unique in the unique in the world, and that is our connection, our perverse connection to employer-based health insurance. It's a long and fascinating story how that began. It has to do with Kaiser and California, uh, but the fact is it's unreplicated in the rest of the world, and there is no rational reason to have that. And what SB 840 does uh, is separate that, so that's no longer a concern. 
so that people don't have to live in fear of either leaving a job or staying with a job they don't like. And there's really pretty decent research right now that, that estimates that we are losing productivity, the, the potential productivity that we're losing in the country because of this phenomenon called job lock. Uh, if we were to have this universal care system that we talk about, uh, the, the increased economic gain from that of increased productivity would be enough in itself to pay for universal care for everyone. It, 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 the, the thing to me is just so interesting. I mean, you know, when, when people feel alienated or depressed or whatever, you know, people are slaves to their jobs, often simply because of the health care or the retirement benefits. And it's just so interesting. You know, there are rankings not only of health care, but which nation has the happiest citizenry and so forth. And, of course, the United States never comes up on top. Um, and it's just so interesting that... Uh, you know, I mean, employer-based healthcare. You know, it's it's just not something that makes that makes logical sense. Uh, I want to make sure we have time to talk about actual lobbying, and uh, I understand that. So you you've been able to meet one-on-one -on -one or at least in groups with uh, with some of the California uh, legislators. I uh, have been doing some lobbying myself for uh, the Cal State university system and it can be quite an an interesting experience so i think our listeners are certainly receptive to single-payer health care and i think that everyone in this room certainly sees the logic of it what happens when you're in the belly of the beast in sacramento and uh, you have to face the uh, our representatives how do they respond what's a typical scenario uh, well, in my case, this was the third time I was lobbying, um, and this time we went in to talk about SB 840. The analyst that we spoke with was, um, his boss was a Republican, and um, the very first thing he said was, there's no way that you're going to change our minds on this. And um, we basically just sat there, and we didn't really know how to proceed. It, was, it seemed like it was going to be a very short visit, but then after a while we sort of recovered and decided to, to just have a conversation and to see where these people were coming from. This was... This was the opposition. Somebody has to meet with the opposition. Not everybody's going to meet with those two people who are going to change their minds or the people who were co-authors already. So um, so it was to me it was a positive visit because even though he said there's no way, we came away with a new understanding. And um, we were able to, to find some common ground. Like Parker said, you have to find some common ground in the beginning. And um, even though uh, he said that health care to him is not a right, he, he, he said that that was a fundamental difference. But he, he did agree that health care is a major problem, and the fact that, that not enough people in California have it is a major issue that needs to be addressed. Um, so I thought that was a positive thing to work from. So what, what did you say when he said, uh, or she said, uh, you're never going to change our minds? I mean, you're like, okay, well, we're scheduled. We still have another 29 minutes in our, our half-hour <laughs> session. I mean, I, I ran into something, you know, very similar, where the person pretty much said, you know, I agreed to meet with you, but it ain't going to happen. And I, you know, commented on the painting on behind him on the wall. So, I mean, how did you proceed? I mean, because... Uh, I think a lot of listeners of this program do have to uh, do some lobbying, and it would be good to know, you know, was, w what did you do? Well, I, I wanted to know why. So I proceeded to, we, we all proceeded to go through all of our arguments, and to, and he systematically shot down every single one of them, but which was fine because it allowed us, to, and, and we wanted to know why. Why, why, um, why is our argument not, what, like, what does he have to say to it? 
And um, and what I realized from that is that he was working within a box that he defined for himself um, based on political realities versus just plain reality. And we were coming from the point of view that there's a problem and we need a solution. And um, and we, we have a solution, which is SB 840. And um, for him, that just wouldn't work because even if it was possible, if it, even if it was feasible to use it to... Um, to ensure all Californians, it wouldn't fly in this political reality. And um, and realizing, for me, realizing that that was the major barrier, as opposed to any technical problem with the bill, was um, was pretty powerful. I want to just put a little structure around this. When you talk about the struggle uh, for getting your point across and, and, and sticking to that, um, this is a plug for the training that we had actually before our lobby day. So in preparation for all this, never mind the months of on-campus training and talks and stuff, but the day before we had a whole six-hour training, uh, over 250 people were there for that. Um, and the focus at the end of that was how to basically stick to your point. And we, we taught a, a, a skill that we call message in a box. And in fact, we're we're using it here on the radio today, and we all have our themes, and we each have four kind of themes that we've been talking from. Hopefully some of you have noticed some of them. And uh, we literally, and many people made their box before they went in their visit and either had it in their pocket or put it in their head, and that helps you kind of keep coming back to themes that you want to reinforce. So then what, uh, let, can we explore some of those? What, uh, what are some tips for listeners who uh, are concerned about uh, uh, SB 840, I was going to say 240, SB 840, who, who, uh, or, or everyone knows it as the, the, the CUEL uh, bill, how should we frame the discussion? How should we, if, whether we're approaching a, a, a representative or a Republican or a Democrat, I mean, I have confronted Democrats that I thought would be, would be sympathetic to certain issues, and they haven't. Uh, how do we begin by talking about single-payer health care? Well, Jared, that, that's a question that's probably occupied most of my mind for the last couple of years, and, and in fact, is <laughs> so occupies my mind, I find, find it difficult to actually study other things sometimes. And so my thinking on this continuous, continuously changes. That said, uh, for me, the overarching premise now is to say, absolutely, it's time that we redefine our values and have a healthcare system for everyone. And that speaks a lot to the social good and, and the justice issue. I believe that captures most people, 60 to 70% is my guess, two-thirds. For others, however, you can then say, even if that's not your belief, the system right now, you are getting, in essence, so screwed by the system right now that you would benefit, 99% of you would benefit from a system uh, that covers for everyone because we're doing it so inefficiently right now. And there's plenty of numbers to show that. And there's some people who wouldn't benefit, uh, but the vast majority still would. And that's the kind of premise from which uh, I think about this right now. Another powerful thing in our system right now is that anybody is at risk. If you lose your job, which could happen to anybody, you can lose your coverage. And so and anybody can find themselves in the situation, not just somebody not just the lowest of the low, it's, it's pretty much anybody. And healthcare costs are so high right now that, that if you are struck with a debilitating disease that, takes a lot, that requires a lot of money or hospitalization, any one of us could really find ourselves in that situation. So it's really kind of becoming an equalizing thing. Right, and just kind of 
go back to the business aspect of it. I find this, you know, a good point to bring up as well, that um, healthcare for businesses is just such a huge hit for everybody. And, um, you know, imposing that sort of limit on competition and globalization and creativity and capitalism in general is just so debilitating that um, people who are fundamentally against covering everybody 100% has to look at that economic edge. Yeah, I think that that's a a really uh, good starting point because uh, we're beginning to see the Walmarts and the bigger employers uh, realizing that uh, if they want to continue doing business in this country, uh, they can't uh, afford, uh, I mean, they can afford it, they choose not to afford right. uh, the kind of uh, astronomical costs that Far was talking about of health care here in, in the United States. And, uh, you know, one way to, to keep uh, corporations uh, conducting business in the United States, as Obama says, to, um, you know, cut the loopholes that allow them to profit from going overseas. But one way of doing that, of course, would make healthcare affordable because as it is now, yeah, it is an employer-based healthcare system and it's only a matter of time before uh, the the Republicans or the business-minded amongst us recognize that it is in their financial interest to cut the costs by cutting out all the the middlemen and uh, and having a single payer system. I mean, I think that that's you know it, I I hate talking about medicine by appealing to the bottom line, um, but it seems like if you want to debate someone who is so opposed to you, sometimes you have to do it on their terms. Absolutely, you know, you have to look at that. Medicine is money these days. That's fundamentally what it is. And we can either get rid of the pre-tax employer advantage that people benefit from by having the employer-based, you know, um, health care system and just open up the individual market, which would continue to raise costs of health care. People will be paying, you know, probably like eight grand this year for their individual health care. Or we can just make a change and make a, you know, a big pool where everyone benefits out of. Doctors are free to provide the efficient, proper care that they were trained to to give. And and we actually believe that that, that change is, is, that potential is so close. I actually believe if one of the main candidates or president would just simply stand up and finally say, guess what, we're not going to talk about this individual mandate and criminalizing people. We're going to finally do this the right way. And we have, there's plenty of evidence that physicians and uh, citizens would fall in behind that. And the same in the business leadership. If, if a major business finally say, we're not doing this anymore and we're going to only back somebody who really talks about true systemic change. I believe it would turn on, turn on a dime, and that's what's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. We are uh, just about out of time, but I want to let listeners know that uh, this is an ongoing campaign, so if you could all give uh, a parting comment and let people know if uh, part of the success of a campaign is bringing more people in, uh, how can people get involved? Absolutely. Um, One of our main goals this year before Lobby Day 2009 is to really expand our grassroots movement, especially through the medical students and the physician community, but also to educate, you know, the people who are in those employer-based healthcare systems, who are employees stuck in their jobs for the benefits. Um, So absolutely, for people to come and get educated about the issue, um, to get involved in the issue, come up with us to Sacramento and lobby with us to stand by us and support this cause. Um, so a website you can do, one, if, if people 
can't get involved, but they really like what we're doing. We, uh, we continuously need funding to continue what we're doing. And our website is calauhc.org, C-A-L-A-U-H-C.org. And then we always point people to um, Sandra Kuehl's website, send.ca.gov, and then slash Kuehl, where she has just a wealth of information uh, about this issue in general. And there's also so many resources online. Um, I would just encourage people to look at both sides because um, it is a conversation um, between at least two parties. There are so many different ways of looking at this. Um, and in order to really be convinced one way or the other of what, what the solution will be for our broken health care system is to look at both sides and, um, and to think of counter-arguments um, and then go with what you're convinced of. Uh, again, the website is calauhc.org, or you could log on to uh, Sheila Kuehl's website. Uh, Farah, Parker, and Jennifer, I want to thank you for coming back, giving us an update. I understand you guys were out in the rain when you, uh, when you were up in Sacramento a little bit. Oh, but, uh, so your, uh, your activism is certainly, uh, certainly respected, and uh, we'll, we'll keep this up to date. We'll, we'll have you back again. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll be back after this. Stick around. It's justice or just us.